and welcome to Super Excited with Stefan Roost. I'm Mike, the facilitator of this podcast. In this episode, Stefan talks to Jamie Bartlett. Jamie Bartlett is a UK-based investigative reporter who spent more than a year physically tracking Ruja, known as the missing crypto queen, and he documented his findings in a serialized hit podcast on the BBC of the same name. For more than a year, every couple of weeks, listeners of The Missing Crypto Queen could follow Bartlett's findings almost in real time. In this episode, Stefan and Jamie discuss the story of The Missing Crypto Queen, crypto scams, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and what is next for The Missing Crypto Queen's story. Enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, uh, super excited again for a slightly different twist to super excited. And today I'm here with Jamie Bartlett, um, a renowned author, written a new book on the Crypto Queen and an amazing podcast. If you haven't listened to it, listen to it. We'll have a link at the below. But before I go into that, maybe Jamie, you give a bit of an introduction into yourself and how you got into writing and, and maybe just a bit of background on yourself and We'll go, we'll take it from there. How does that sound? Sure, that's great. Well, thanks very much for having me, uh, Stefan. Yeah, yeah so I, I'm a technology writer. I, uh, I, was, I, I got into writing about technology on a simple premise, really. I just felt like most ordinary people I knew didn't understand what the hell was going on. Yeah. And I felt maybe arrogantly that I could turn some of this complicated technology into things that made sense to like my mom or my granddad you know what i mean yeah. that yeah. was my simple motivating uh, vision it, way back in like 2008 2009 when okay. i was trying to explain when i was trying to explain what social media was yeah to yeah. my to my grandmother who was like yeah. don't I, I mean i was naive because i was saying to her facebook is this it's amazing we're going to chat and she was like don't trust it there's a snap. What? Why? Who's paying for this? And I was like, oh, don't worry about the. Don't worry about that. What? What do they want from me? Don't worry about the details, man. So um, I was, you know, I was always trying to trying to make technology understandable to people somehow. And to do that, you've often got to be lucky enough to find a good story, like a vehicle yeah. to do that. Yeah. So then I I wrote a book about the darknet in 2015. Ooh. It's the book was called The Darknet. It was the all about. A, Darknet markets yeah. and internet subcultures and, and Nazi groups online and radical okay. movements online. Yeah. It was it was basically I just I spent a year in the I suppose like the darkest corners of the net. So fascinating time. But one of the key things that I did there was to buy drugs on the darknet on one yeah. of the Silk Road marketplaces. Yeah. And then I and then I ended up doing a TED talk yeah. about how do you buy drugs on the darknet? Now, that was really important for this story because it got me really into Bitcoin and yep. how crypto worked. And I was fascinated yep. by this payment system and what at the time, especially in 2013, 14, when I was writing it, it really was about cash, digital cash, yep. Move, yep. being able to spend Bitcoin yep. to yep. buy things. And I was like, drug dealers, they love it. It's amazing for them. It makes perfect sense. So 2018, fast forward, a BBC documentary maker is at a dinner party and a friend of a friend says to her, I've got this amazing new project for you. I think you should invest. I've invested. It's made me a lot of money already and it's called OneCoin. Yeah. It's going to be the next Bitcoin. It's this, got this amazing Bulgarian-German businesswoman. She's totally legit. Unlike this Satoshi Nakamoto, no one knows who the hell that is. This woman's got a degree from Oxford University. And um, you should invest. <laughs> you should invest in this. And yep. she, being a journalist, is quite sceptical about it all. And she Googles it and she's like, that woman hasn't been seen in public for over a year. But then again, Satoshi Nakamoto hasn't been seen in public for 10 years. So yep. maybe this is normal. And we get, we she calls me because she's seen my TED talk yep. about buying and says, you seem to understand Bitcoin. Do you want to start looking into this with me? And the whole thing starts from there. And like yep. four years later, wow. I'm still doing it. I'm yeah. still doing it. It's the only thing I've done really for four years. Wow. <laughs> wow. What a journey. And, and four years on, on one coin. That's quite a, a journey. But I, actually, I'm going to start a bit up front on the dark web, right? I mean, I, you know, when I first got into Bitcoin, which was really early on, it was about 2012, and I got into Bitcoin, and it was really 
because of peers that I knew in the industry, in particularly software industry, because like you, I came up from a tech background. Um, and so I sort of w wandered into that or stumbled across uh, Bitcoin through developers that introduced it to me. And then they were using software that I understood and I could see it. But one of the things that was really important was if a coin was used in the dark web, it was likely to be a coin that was going to be pretty successful, pretty in demand on the exchanges. And you would see volume and velocity around that. And one of the coins was obviously Bitcoin and Monero and Zcash were some of the first coins that were really present on those platforms. And, and yeah, I was wondering, is that something yeah. that you sort of also found yeah. out or, or, or you realized? Yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent. The whole premise of the book that I'd written was yeah. check out what the criminals are doing because yeah. they work out use cases for things very early yeah. because they're forced to. They're because they're often excluded from the sort of mainstream institutions. Yeah. That could be media or payment processing or whatever. They're looking for like new technologies that can help them and strip aside the morality of it. You're you're looking at what pioneering new ways people are trying to use new tech. And it's it's often pornographers and criminals yeah. who are, are figuring yeah. this stuff out. So I was always of the mind that they've actually worked out. This has incredibly useful features. Yeah. And I look at the direction of travel and how people are getting worried about privacy and how more and more data is being collected about us and how banks are behaving. And I'm like, I really thought this this has a future, this coin. Yeah. It starts yeah. here on the dark web, maybe. Well, it starts, like you said, with a lot of techies who love crypto anarchy and, you know, and uh, it's fascinated by the software. But the use cases are going to be built up by the criminals at first, but, but have worked out the, the amazing properties. So I was, I never bought it because I was very frustrated, but I, I always felt like I'm going to, I want to be able to talk about this objectively and never yep. be accused of pushing it or because I Shilling. own it. So I just, although I should have done because I wouldn't have had to have worked. So I wouldn't <laughs> have had to have worried about that. But it was, it, I really believed that not only that, the, that there was such an interesting sort of business case for yeah. it on the dark net, but the, but, the, but the philosophy of crypto anarchy is the most original and one of the newest political ideas that you don't get new political ideas turning yeah. up very often. Yeah. And when I started reading about crypto anarchy and, and the idea that sort of mathematical principles can secure privacy and security for individuals as that, that itself is a political ideology, yeah. I thought this is one of the newest and most original ideas in politics I've seen. So there's something fascinating about this. And I, I was just fascinated by it ever since. I never knew it was going to end up in the way that it did and like yeah. huge investment banks putting billions in and all of the rest of it. But you never do, do you? You never, no. you never know how it's going to unfold. I mean, what got me hooked was really, like you said right at the beginning, was really, you know, the peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system, right, that it really set out to be where I could actually send money around the world and receive goods in return, and it would be immutable, right? Uh, or services in my case, I was looking for services, and it was at no fees, it was instantaneous, and it was just a bliss to work with without having to go to the bank, wait three days, four days, pay a $70, $100, $700 fee for a transaction that had to then be sent via the internet. I mean, in those days we had internet and PayPal that you would have thought already that would have been really easy, right? And I think, yeah, um, yeah just the fact yeah. that all of a sudden you could trade and do transactions with people uh, for services yeah. was, yeah. I uh, totally, and I, and I also just think the the basic idea of trying to use use encryption uh, yeah. and programming, I suppose, yeah. to to introduce digital scarcity somehow. Yeah. To to think that there's a there's a way of introducing scarcity into digital assets yeah. is is a breathtaking thought because so many of the assets that we own even today and that we value are digital and it's inevitable that we want some scarcity of people say how could you sell an nft because someone can just replicate it and i think i can put a poster of the mona lisa up here it doesn't mean it's the original mona lisa is not valuable the opposite it makes it more valuable because it has such cultural significance that i want a picture of it so to me that is a an amazing thought 
And I think you said the word right there, right? Cultural significance. And when you were going into the dark web, you were, uh, uh, you know, sort of researching sort of subcultures that were emerging under the hood, right? And, and there was a way to differentiate yourself from the mass media, right, if you will. And that subculture has just grown. What were some of the big things that you saw as you were going into those subcultures? I mean, anarchy, libertarianism, libertarianism is, is a big sort of uh, part of why I think a lot of the OGs in crypto or blockchain or Bitcoin or Web3, whatever we want to call it now, that was one of the reasons why we all entered into it. Crypt, yeah, crypto anarchy was the most interesting idea, yeah. political idea I, I saw in in the in the dark in the dark yeah. web. Or, or the, the the interesting new alliances that were sort of struck between programmers and anons and yeah. uh, and uh, and drug dealers who are all sort of working out together. Like, how do we build something that 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 the, that the governments cannot really control? Yeah. Um, just just seemed to be like there was an excitement and an energy about it. And for all, there were loads of terrible things about it too, obviously, that I had to yeah. address. Yeah. But I was always just fascinated by the idea that 2012, 13, privacy as a, as a, as a vital precursor to individual freedom was clearly getting more and more important. And we're, yeah. we're fearing the age in which every single thing we do is collected and stored, yeah. turned into a sophisticated algorithm that can predict our and our children's views and hopes and aspirations and can be used to sell us things and sell us politicians. And it's quite <laughs> terrifying. And it turns out that some of this like weird subculture, dark net, is maybe the answer to some of that stuff yeah. or maybe is one of the th and it's weird how society does that you know yeah. problems emerge but somewhere in the darker depth some weird corner that no one else knows or the authorities distrust that's yeah. where you find the answer and and it, it that that that's just was was why i i wanted to spend time there and also the sense that most ordinary people and certainly most mainstream journalists did not understand it and they'd be terrified. Of yeah, them. they'd be terrified. I would, of them. I would, I would go on to like, I'd go on to. I mean, this was really dark. But I spent a lot of time on eating disorder forums. Okay. They're really, really misunderstood places because you'll read newspaper articles about eating disorder forums, and they imagine that it is a dark, nasty, cruel, bullying place. Yeah. In fact, it's the kindest, most caring community you'll find online. Wow. Everyone's trying to help each other, but yeah. they're accidentally glamorizing and normalizing serious eating conditions but if all you ever read about in the news is this horrible yeah, scary yeah. you're like you're missing completely why people are drawn into it and i just felt like so many aspects of internet culture and subculture um the mainstream media got got completely wrong yeah because they wouldn't go into it they wouldn't look at it they wouldn't spend time there they just read a head you know write a headline about how terrible it all was so it was also about trying to show that the monster under the bed wasn't always as scary as you thought and if you could look at it in the eye you might learn something as well yeah and i think i mean partially you know it, it's also sort of the attention span right and the clickbait that that a lot of these mainstream medias are are, are driven to achieve right they need to get quick views they need audience they need to hit their metrics that as a corporation owned by some sort of shareholder or family that's been you know running this mainstream business for so many years and and they don't really yeah. look at proper research etc and i think that's what was interesting about your podcast and your book where you're actually really spending like you said four years mm -hmm. in, in in sort of doing the research mm -hmm. and really going deep what does that take and you went into some yeah i mean you were definitely into some but at least by the sounds of it uh interesting and precarious situations right yeah <laughs> there is something interesting going on though at the moment with attention yeah. span and stuff because yeah. I, I was so I was so pessimistic about four or five years ago yep. about this problem. We're yep. all on social media. We can't concentrate. We just read the clickbait. We'd, we'd yep. want everything in like short sound bites. Yep. But then, but then suddenly, people like Joe Rogan, and it, you you forget about the actual content. Is normalizing. You can talk for four hours about a subject, and millions of people will listen yep. if you do it properly. Yep. And 
I was worried about social media and attention spans, irrespective of whether you're left wing, right wing, centrist, radical, whatever. It was just about attention span and ability to consume complex ideas. I thought that was bad for democracy, full stop. I'm now very optimistic, um, forgetting again, I don't care who's on the Joe Rogan show. Yeah. I am I'm yeah. very pleased that people are being demonstrated that four hours on one story yeah. at a deep level is possible. Yeah. People will listen to that. So I hope we're actually beginning to change it. And that's why the podcast, I think, worked because yeah. we were like, let's not let's not oversimplify it. Let's get into the weeds. Let's show people if you can do it in a compelling way. People will stick around for eight hours on this story. Yeah. Yes, you've got to inject insight, excitement, and ups and downs and drama. Yeah. But you can talk about money laundering techniques, and people yeah. will listen yeah. once you've hooked them in. <laughs> so we did. Yeah, we 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 went in deep, and it's yeah. it really people really liked that. Yeah. And they really liked us being honest about things we didn't understand. Yeah. About where we were hitting brick, you know, brick walls. Yeah. About when we were frustrated, showing how we were trying to work out how how we arrived at certain conclusions. Because the age of the BBC journalist saying, "Here I am to explain to you people what the truth yeah. is," is a little bit over. People yeah. like to show how you're working out your theories and your ideas. There's a sort of transparency in the air. Bitcoin's probably part of that as well. Yeah. This sort of idea that I want to know how it works. I want to know yeah. how you journalists have arrived at this conclusion. And podcasts are really great for that. They allow you to do that. And I think that's the interesting... I mean, to me, you know, I don't watch mainstream media. I don't have TV anymore. Anytime something comes up on CNN, BBC, Bloomberg, uh, you know, Fox News, I just don't listen to them anymore because I just feel they're, they're selling an agenda. There's no authenticity about it. There's no deep research. And the discussion is always cut short. Oh, because the advertiser or the editor is, is calling me saying, shut it off now, right? You've got to switch to the next program, right? And so as a result, <laughs> you're just numbed. You're yeah. numbed to being dumb and, and stupid. And, and the more data that is available online and entrusted with these big institutions and big entities and governments... They want us to be even dumber and just manipulate us in the specific directions. And that's why we now have this bifurcation of, you know, you're either on one side or the other side. There's nothing in the middle anymore. We don't have debates anymore. We can have conversations, which is, I mean, yeah. It's, we're in, it's we're in, we're, we're in a, we're, well, I, we're, we're in, in my opinion, we're, we're, we're basically turned up now in an age of total information overload. Yeah. It sounds a strange thing to say, but there's too much. Yeah, definitely. Every argument, could, <laughs> the opposite view can pull out their own facts and figures and data and stats and charts yeah, and yeah. blogs. And you just, it's impossible for me or you to make sense of it. Yeah. Big corporations also struggle to make sense of it. And none of us quite know what the hell's going on. Yeah. And I think the only way, I think longer, more longer form detailed stuff yeah. is, is going to be the only answer to that. Yeah. Because I think you're right. In, a, in an age of information overload, all we can do is go with our guts. Yeah. That's why it's, it's me versus you. It's my emotional yeah. feeling. Like you're on my team. These guys aren't on my team. Yeah. Who knows what's the truth? Uh, so let's just let's turn this let's turn politics into a sport where we yeah. just wave a flag for the guy we support and everyone else is an idiot. And it's. Um, it's terrible, and the long form stuff is is part of the antidote to that. And I, I think that you, you mentioned the BBC. I mean, the, the podcast, the Missing Crypto Queen, was BBC. Yeah, that's true. So, so, so you, the big outlets are a range of things. Yeah. Within the BBC, you've got you've got you do have the sort of short, sharp debates where you can be frustrated. I get yeah. frustrated with them. I'm, like, I'm not. I'm just seeing people just shout. There's no effort to hear each other. There's no effort to you know, arrive at, you know, the marketplace of ideas where yep. side A and side B arrive at a synthesis and we're more informed. I'm not getting that. I'm just getting people hating each other. But then the BBC also will produce 10 hours on the missing crypto yeah. queen and but allow me, yeah. yeah, and allow me to really go in deep. And so even within the outlets, there's real differences in the yep. format and the style and the sort of content you get. But I think also it's, it's, it's a change and they're very different platforms per se, right? Where you're creating the Crypto Queen, you're building this podcast and it's, it's BBC trying to promote 
its podcast platform where there it's about hours and people listening. Whereas on the medium, it's just a number of eyeballs that I can capture, right? So it's, it's a very different platform. And I also believe that that marketplace of content has a very different user demographic. It's me who's going on there looking for something specific to entertain myself with and educate myself with or get to know a new personality, right? Like you, I, I get to meet Jamie Bartlett and I meet you through the Crypto Queen and all the, and I get a personality, I get a flavor of your personality through the hours and hours that you've spent in building up this story. And Joe Rogan, the same, you get a flavor of his personality, Lex Friedman as well, right? So you're getting a flavor of their personality, which then you trust or you don't trust. and and you actually yeah. build, yeah. You need that, I think. Yeah. Uh, increasingly, I think we we need to know how stories are generated. We need to know increasingly if we trust the interlocutor, yeah. because we can't make sense of all the data ourselves. And so yeah. it makes some sense to get to know the people that are doing it. The problem with that is you end up with the shock jocks, you know, <laughs> and the sort of uh, it's all about me as the presenter and yeah, trust yeah, me and yeah. sort of Sean Hannity and I'll tell you yeah. what's going on. And we're, we're kind of back to where we started then, which I just got to trust whatever you say. I really feel like all media outlets need to do more to show they're working out. Yeah. How are they getting to this? Get Film us in the in the morning conference when we talk about the stories Like one of the big things that all of them get criticized for is why have you led on story X rather than story Y? Yeah. Why have you decided that's more important yeah, for me to know? Yeah. Like, why have you ignored this one? Like the mainstream media is not covering this or it's yeah. not covering that. I want to see inside their morning briefing room. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see cameras inside their briefing room where me and you can sit down and watch how the editors are talking. And you might find, we might be like, you know actually, what? I, I get why they're doing that. I yeah. actually understand why they've done that. But it's still too closed. There's not enough transparency in the workings out. And I think if we, if, 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 if people are going to carry on trusting the big outlets, they've got to open it up in that way a bit more. Yeah, and I think, you know, sort of... Anyway, anyway. <laughs> to your, your argument around the platforms and, and, and Facebook evolving and Twitter coming up out of the woodworks and... You know, when we first had Web One and, and and traditional media, it was all monopolized. It was, you know, the telcos. We had to pay eight dollars or or fifteen pounds to do an international call per minute. Right? We were hugely locked yeah. in to a a pricing point, and then all of a sudden, you know, with Skype, with the likes of of Facebook, with Twitter, we had the ability to communicate with our friends in other parts of the world for free. At least we thought it was free because there was no financial immediate expense associated with that ability to communicate. We, I mean, yeah. unlike your, your, your mother who actually realized that actually I have to, what am I paying for? I don't trust this. If it's free, there's some sort of hook in there. Um, I think most of the population just aped in and, and enjoyed that only to realize that once we had two, three billion people on these networks, that all of a sudden there was a big set of data in one centralized entity that was managing and manipulating that data to drive, not manipulating, maybe monetizing and commercializing that data yeah. is a better word to say. Yeah. Um, or, or and, manipulating it, or manipulating it and we wouldn't know. Yeah. Or like, uh, that's the thing about these data, just their existence and the fact they can be controlled by a small number of people makes you not trust even if they're doing nothing wrong, you're suspicious because yeah. you think, yeah, but you could be, and I wouldn't even know about it. So why would I trust that you're not? Yeah. I think Their one of the existence things, is quite corrupting. Yeah. One of the things that I was really um, surprised by was the fact that if you look even further back, I mean, in the old days, you know, these monopolies, these telcos, these credit card companies, these banks, they were all acquiring data. They were just keeping it in much smaller frameworks. They didn't have that mass amount of data, but they had smaller uh, you know, islands of data that they were then commercializing um, also to their own benefit, but to their core partners. And they kept that very closed. And my biggest fear 
also coming from crypto, what I loved about crypto is all of a sudden we had the ability to be more private. We had more freedom. We didn't have forms we needed to fill out for every little transaction. We didn't need to explain where we got these funds from. We could just trade. We could interact with each other and have, in a way, be happy because there was always an exchange of value and an exchange of goods. And so that transaction allowed for communication, interaction, and, and, and ultimately a, a, a set of satisfaction across the participants. And my fear is now that if it goes into the government's hands, where the governments are now trying to build out CBDCs, their own currency, uh, they already have a lot of access to social media, they're trying to control those, where does that then go? And how do we participate in a world like that? Oh, I think you're going to be better to answer that one yeah, than yeah. me because I agree. I agree with you. It's like the empire strikes back, yeah. and it was always kind of inevitable that would happen yeah. because you don't build revolutionary, fascinating new technology that allows ordinary people to communicate or move things around, assets around, without the governments starting to go. Hmm. Yeah. This not only is this a problem. This could actually work to our advantage because I quite like the idea of a an immutable ad-only database where every record is 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 always saved and stored yeah. that we can see yeah. that we could control yeah. that would make tax we'd be able to collect tax way more easy. we could make sure that like everyone uses bitcoin on the street or like the digital central bank digital currencies on the streets when they're buying and selling stuff Tax evasion, it will be impossible. You won't be able to spend £10 in cash at the supermarket because, you know, we want to make sure who's buying what and when and da 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 da, da. Yeah. So it was always inevitable to me that this this was coming. This was going to happen. Yeah. And you, you're going to end up with a sort of, uh, you know, you can see very well why the Chinese government would love to have their own <laughs> central currency system or the Venezuelan government yeah. or the, you know, whoever. Yeah. And this is going to probably be the next frontier in the in in the in the sort of battle over the control for crypto. Because if you look back to the beginning, there was very early on a dispute, a debate between those who thought this was a this was a political movement, revolutionary, overthrow governments, new political order, and those who thought no, no, this is just about making payments easier. It's efficient. It's simple. You know, there's great value here. We could we could integrate it within the existing financial system. That was almost present from day one, yeah. that debate, yes. if you like. And it, and it now just, as it's got bigger, that debate's got bigger. And, and the debate, that's I, feel, where I feel like we are. Yeah, and I think the debate has, is, is, has in this, at every wave where popularity grows associated with crypto, the debate starts to shift towards the more regulated, governed framework or the more sort of, uh, whereas the sort of traditionalists yeah. who are trying to separate state and money, very similar to church and state, um, you know, that, yeah. that sort of philosophy then yeah. sort of gets pushed down for the benefit of profit, for the benefit of, 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 of you know, big institutions entering into the market. And then they all burn. Everybody crashes and hurts. And, and as a result, then, oh, we need to govern that because my buddy got pain, yeah. uh, had felt pain and all under the Consumer Protection Act or, or the, the name and the words, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, I, th I think it, it's partly, uh, and I, funnily enough, I think OneCoin and Dr. Ruja yeah. Ignatova were, was very clever yeah. in using this argument yeah. to promote their coin. Yeah. They would say, listen, the problem with crypto at the moment, the problem with Bitcoin is that it's used by criminals. It's anarchic. It's anonymous. Uh, can't be controlled. Governments are never going to let this work because they'll be too scared of it. And you, ordinary person on the street, if you invest your money in Bitcoin and you forget your password or your private key, uh, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. That's and and ninety percent of ordinary people forget their passwords yeah. and forget their keys and lose their memory sticks and all these other things. That is most people. So she turns up and says, "Don't worry. If you've forgotten your your password, phone us. Phone up the head office. We'll just reset it for you. If your money is stolen, your crypto is stolen. One coin. We control the blockchain. Yeah. I'll reverse. The, I'll just reverse That's the transaction exactly. and get it back for you. So it's it's like." It's just the old school yeah, way of doing exactly. it. But for, for most people, for most people, I think that makes more sense. Yeah. That's easier. That's simpler. Because I had, um, 
Here's a story for you. In 2015, when I was writing my book after the Dark Knight, it was called Radicals, and it was I was spending time with radical political movements. Yes. Um, I was spending time with the uh, people that were trying to build like a nation state using cryptocurrency, yeah, uh, using blockchain, saying we could have a nation on a blockchain yep. kind of thing, and all the functions. And um, I bought, I bought four hundred and <laughs> Liberland. I went, I went to Liberland on yep. a boat. Yep. Went to Liberland on a boat, and yep. the and the and the the police stopped us from making land. Oh wow! Yeah, I was there with Vit 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 Jedlitska, yeah, Vit, yeah, the president yeah, yeah, of Liberland. Yeah, yeah. Me and me and me and me and Vit were on a boat heading towards Liberland, and you know the police boats turned up and basically ushered us away. So uh, yeah. I've been to Liberland. Well, I've been nearly at Liberland. Yeah. I couldn't get there because of the police. Sheesh. So when I was with Vit, yeah. I bought four hundred and twenty ETH for about two hundred pounds. Okay, like three hundred dollars. Yep. Yeah. All right, that's a good that's a good investment. That's funny. <laughs> they all got stolen. They all got stolen when one of the coin one of the, when when one of the exchange sites was oh, was no. basically hacked into yeah. and everything was nicked. Yeah. Nothing I can I can't phone up the I can't get insurance on it. I can't get the money back. It's all gone. And my experience is is probably more common yeah. for ordinary people than like incredibly high levels of sophisticated key management because yeah. you just it's too much for people so i think part of the problem is as crypto got bigger consumers didn't know what the hell they were doing yeah yeah and they were scared about it being lost and then in comes well we'll have a central bank one and that's going to be all official and going to all be controlled and, da, 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 da. and i think the crypto community would be naive to sort of think that that won't be very popular people will like that yeah. they will want that because they'll feel safer with it. I think one, you know, I was going to ask you, you now. so given how early you got into the, the, the crypto world, right, and, and all the research that you've yeah. done, you've gone through a number of boom and busts, if you will, right, and particularly the bust in 2017, 2018, OneCoin was one of the big stories in, in that bust the second time round, and then this one round, right, and, and I feel if I just read between the lines of what you're telling me, it's like really... It's the laziness, right? The people are just lazy and looking for a centralized institution that they can that can take over the responsibility on their behalf to manage their own coins, their own keys. And, and the same, I'd say, was why we have Celsius, Voyager, um, you know, uh, Galaxy, Genesis, all of these entities are custodians on behalf of their users might just be more institutions today in this downturn, whereas there it was maybe more individuals and retailers, retail investors. You are a, you are you are a tough man. Okay. I mean lazy lazy. I mean I feel lazy might be a bit unfair okay. because <laughs> <laughs> the idea of self custodial wallets is so new to people yeah, that. Maybe. To, it's going to take a while to get their heads around this concept. Yep. These are people that have grown up with banks looking after their money, yep. and you're expecting within two years they understand self custodial. Th- it's 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 too much. People yeah, are flawed. That's, that's, people are getting I mean, used to this. Yep. People are figuring it yep. out. People are trying to work their way through it. And so I think in ten years, yep. if we're doing the same situation, and you say lazy, I'll say yes, Stefan. Okay. I'm with you. <laughs> We've had time. We have figured it out. We. Know- <sighs> I think it's still too soon yeah. to, to say lazy. It, it's it's tough. Yeah. It's difficult. It's confusing. It's complicated, yeah. and and you've also got a lot of very sophisticated scam artists out yeah. there. That's people who are brilliant at tricking tricking ordinary people, yeah. playing on their weaknesses, playing on their hopes and aspirations. And again, ten like if you get a Nigerian prince scam email yeah. now, you are pretty unforgiving. Yeah. Yeah. But but fifteen years ago you were more forgiving because it was all kind of no one knew what they were doing. Yeah. And I still think we're there. Give it another 10 years and we're like, okay, guys, you got to wise up now. We've had several booms and busts. Yeah. We've had loads of these stories. You've heard about OneCoin. You've heard about Celsius. You've heard about all of this. And we'll start to figure it out. Yeah. But I, th- I think it's still a bit too early. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, on the one hand, yeah, I apologize. I mean, even I remember when I first came into, <laughs> I first came, I was like, what the hell is non-custodial? What the fuck does that mean? Excuse my language. You know, yeah, but, yeah. You know, and then. And you're re- you're in this world you, and you are like, you know, you're a guy who understands this tech. Yeah. No, definitely. And then, yeah. and then, but, but I do feel 
that as an industry, we've also, or not only as an industry, as a, as a civilization, we've numbed down our ability to learn and our need to continuously educate ourselves. And, you know, we, as babies, we, we crawl, we walk, we fall over, we hit our head, we cut ourselves. And every time we get better at walking because we hurt ourselves and we know what it's like. If we can't hold our balance, it hurts, right? And so I feel it's the responsibility largely of our educational institutions to keep up to speed and constantly provide us with the tools and the mindset to be critical in terms of our thinking, to be you know, where do we go and what tools do we use to do our research so that we are up to speed and have a better ability to understand how to manage keys. And, and, and I don't know, I mean, maybe that's too idealistic. I think that's true. Yeah. No, it's, it is. It is. I mean, it is a bit idealistic yeah. when you look at how slow the education system is to ever change yeah. and ever teach anything. Uh, but I agree with you. Like we're, we're miles behind yeah. this stuff. And it's not just the schools. I think it's the ability of a society to learn from its mistakes generally, yeah. because one of the reasons we tried to make the story of one coin was because we, Let's be honest, people who invested in it, the 1 million people yeah. who invested up to 4 billion euros in this, they're probably not getting any of that money yeah. back. All I hoped for was that people listen to that story and learn from yeah. it and think, shit, okay, if someone comes up and says, I have a multi-level marketing company, I'm selling you cryptocurrency, we'll manage the coins for you. You will be able to sell it, but not yet. Could you just hold off another year and then you can sell it on an exchange? Yeah. People are going to be like, hang on a minute. I've heard this story before. Yeah. This is a load of bullshit. And, and, if, and if you're guaranteeing me 20% annual returns for sure, why hasn't Warren Buffett bought every single one of your coins already? Yeah. Because he's got the world's best brains working out how he should invest. And he's not touching this. So why, why should I invest in one coin? with your 300% annual return guarantee yeah. if Warren Buffett won't invest in it. <laughs> um, and and, and, and if David, down the street, I know you think you're early to this, but if you're hearing about this, you're already at the bottom of the yeah. pyramid, mate. I'm sorry. Yeah. I know you think you're near the top. Right. It just doesn't... So we hope that those lessons become part of the fabric of like broader societal understanding. And it ha people have got a lot going on in their yep. heads. People have got a lot of things to worry about. And I know that people into crypto sometimes think that everyone, everything is about crypto, but for most people it is still like paying the bills and, you know, my car needs, my car's got a puncture and like, how the hell am I going to fix this? And then there's this crypto shit going on I don't know, too much. Right. Um, so, to me, it's like if there's – our dream was that maybe few people were approached with a clone scam and they'd be like, I remember hearing a podcast three years ago yeah. about something like this. Do you know what? I'll pass. Thanks very much. And I'll try and learn a bit more about it first. Yeah. That was it. And that's how you learn as, as a society. But I mean, you know, just just on that note, you know, just I look at I look at what you're saying and, and the promises of 300% return, and I got that, you know. I mean, I mean, let's face it, you know, the whole Terra Luna anchor example was oh, 20% return, I'm gonna get there. Who knows where it's coming from? So it was just another scenario that was exactly the same, just sort of mirrored slightly yeah. different. This time it was on the blockchain, but it was still a promise of a return yeah. that got people to get in and, yeah. and as a result a hell of a lot of us lost a lot of money in that process Tell, yeah yeah well i just i i just i really i think that these stories hopefully don't turn people off crypto entirely yeah. but become much more skeptical about any kind of guaranteed return yeah. and i think it's the job of the crypto sometimes the crypto community in, in my uh, opinion and i kind of feel like i've one foot in one yeah. foot out really can sometimes they they can hype things up so much. This is the future. This is happening. It's impossible for this to go down. Uh, and they're credible people, yeah. and they're appearing on credible news programs. And they, I think, they can sometimes inadvertently it ends up with an ordinary person six months later putting their money in one coin or Terra Luna or whatever yeah. because they keep hearing this thing from credible business people that it's going to go up yeah. forever. So when they see promised annual returns of 
and they remember seeing businessmen saying this is going to the moon like it's financially per it's the best instrument ever it's always going to go up it tallies up to them that 20 percent sounds quite yeah. reasonable so i i hope as well the crypto world will dampen down some of the like the language about not guaranteed returns, but you know, this is always going up. This is mathematical certainty, blah blah blah, because that might inadvertently make ordinary people think, "Yeah, cool, twenty percent, I'm in." That sounds that sounds reasonable, because as I understand it, with Terra Luna, a lot of the people that put in their money into those kinds of things and into the, those stable coins were like, "That's that's a much more realistic yeah. and honest and reasonable and safer yeah. bet than." putting a million dollars into dogecoin and hoping it goes up five thousand percent again yeah no that's 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 really true i mean i think you know one thing that i mean maybe why we're also jaded or, or at least some of us are jaded is when i first got into it it was, it was bitcoin and there was only bitcoin and i really didn't see anything else and i remember i had ethereum on my desk and, and i passed on ethereum unlimited supply how does that work you know why why do we need another coin the bitcoin's working perfectly all right and it was only when transactions started to slow down costs started to hit 100 dollars for a transaction at that when that just sort of really not why i got into bitcoin and so then i was looking at alternatives and you know there was a community that decided to fork off and create bitcoin cash which was going to have slightly bigger blocks it's going to move faster it's going to be ultra cheap and so then it was like but until then i was so committed on anything that came across my plate or, or table i just wouldn't look at and i feel crypto is very religious in that sense that when you get into, I'm in one coin, I don't care. There's only one coin, everything else. I just buy into it and I'm so committed. I'm so engaged into this community that all of a sudden mm. nothing else is true. Everything else, everybody else is a liar. Yeah. Until, you know, it's, and, and it's, it's, yeah, it just becomes a real cult but, following uh, maybe. The, that it can do sometimes. And I, and I say all this as someone, as you can yeah. tell, who really likes the technology and has been following it for a long yeah. time and I'm not against it. I worry what the scams can do sometimes. That's really yeah. the thing. But I think that what point you made is so important because this happened with OneCoin. OneCoin was really a straight pyramid Ponzi yeah. scheme. There are crypto coins that overpromise yeah. and underdeliver. There are ones where people have maybe exaggerated where they think the price might be but one coin was just a, was just a pyramid yeah. scheme it was it was yeah. different to to the others in a, in a way and in fact it wasn't really a crypto <laughs> it's an mlm scam it's it an mlm a yeah. multi-level marketing scam where the product of the mlm pyramid scheme was a crypto was a fake cryptocurrency yeah. so it's more it's more classically defined as an as an mlm scam than a crypto scam in truth but you know, anyway, I mean, just but what yeah. happened? But this is so because this feeds into exactly what you just said. A lot of the crypto community did say one coin is yeah. a scam, one coin yeah. is a pyramid scheme, one coin is a Ponzi <clears throat> scheme. The problem is, the problem is, the Bitcoin maximalists would say one coin is a pyramid scheme. And then they would say in the next breath, yeah, Ethereum is also yeah, a pyramid exactly. scheme, Ripple is a pyramid exactly. scheme. Litecoin is a pyramid scheme. So the OneCoin investors were like, well, all right, but Ethereum is backed by these amazing technologists. So if they're all pyramid schemes, OneCoin, OneCoin actually was a pyramid scheme. But if you call everything a pyramid scheme, how's everyone, I mean, how are you supposed to tell the difference? So the, I feel like everyone calling every other project than theirs a pyramid scheme is why actual pyramid schemes can just, can just go yeah they go they go in unnoticed yeah i think you know one one yeah i mean definitely and i feel that though in outside of bitcoin really the narrative has shifted into much more you know we have to live in a multi-coin world and, and my view at the moment at least is there are so many there are a lot of blockchains out there today uh layer ones 
that are trying to address the problem. And as the world tokenizes, they alone can't handle the volume. I mean, look at them. One goes down, the other one's too expensive, the other one's too slow. So they're all having their struggles. So there's no way one single blockchain can handle that. So do we have multiple chains that all interact with each other and operate with each other? Or is there only one that will come out on top at some point in time, five years from now or something, right? I mean, that's... That's sort of what, oh yeah. mate, yeah. You're 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 a, you're above my technical yeah. know-how now. Yeah, I know, but because I don't I don't know, but I, but but I yeah. do know this. Dr. Ruja Ignatova, when she was pushing the one yeah. coin scam, what she kept saying to people was, "Bitcoin is too yeah. slow to ever become the global, yeah. you know, digital cash that it claims yeah. to. The blocks, the blocks, are, the blocks are too slow to process. No one's going to want to wait an hour yeah, or whatever exactly. it is for a, for yeah. a transaction to go through. How are you going to use it in a shop? Well, you're going to stand there for an hour waiting to make sure it's confirmed. Um, that's why one coin, which mines, you know, a hundred times yeah. faster, <laughs> is going to is going to overtake yeah. Bitcoin. So she was actually trying to. She claimed she was trying to fix yeah. the problems. That, big, that she could see with Bitcoin. I mean, it was all made up, but you can see how clever yeah, she was in what in what she was saying. But as for the broader future of the ecosystem, I mean, given how little I predicted where it ended up now, yeah. five years ago, I don't even want to begin. <laughs> I've got no idea. But I mean, from your perspective, you've now you've spent like a large portion of, you know, let's say the last four to five years really deep into OneCoin and, and doing all the research around there. And, and, and I mean, but by the sounds of it, I mean, I interpret that she was acting maliciously. She was trying to spin it in a way and, and, and misrepresent the the narrative. I mean, I I think that yeah. I mean, she you know, as of last week, she appeared on the FBI's yeah. top yeah, ten most wanted fugitives yeah. list. So, yeah, so she is now. Um, She's back in the news big time. Now, the FBI contends and have always contended that she intended this to be a scam from day yeah. one. She she always knew what she was doing. I think she never planned for it to get as big as yeah. it did. She thought, yeah. she thought, you know what I'll do? 2014, yeah. 15, I'll raise some money through some kind yeah. of ICO. I'll, I'll sort of I'll, I'll I'll make a few promises, but who doesn't yeah. in this world? Who doesn't have to exaggerate course, slightly yeah, what their product will do? The whole thing, yeah, you yeah. know, we're all faking yeah. it till we're making it. The whole thing will probably collapse, and I'll underdeliver in a in a, in a matter of months. But I'll have made yeah. a few million, and I'll disappear, and I'll put it down as an honest mistake, and I'll and I'll blend into the all the other ICOs yeah. that collapse. Yeah. Who's going to know? The problem is this multi-level yeah. marketing. She, the way it was sold was just the same yeah, as Amway yeah. or the yeah. Herbalife. They're not they're not illegal companies at all. They're they're legitimate yeah. companies. But they the sales technique is you get friends and family to recruit friends and family who recruit yeah. friends and family, and each commit and the commission yeah. goes up all the way. Big. She sold it through that, and it grew so fast that within months she'd sold like a billion coins that she didn't have. She, I think she had a small blockchain, probably a Bitcoin yeah. fork, that she was just trying to trying to use that to say, look, here's my revolutionary new coin. It's actually just a fork of Bitcoin with with uh, with 2.1 billion coins rather than 21 million. But the block speed is similar, and we're going to sell those coins and claim it's X, Y, and Z, but really it's like block like Bitcoin. But she was just she just started selling coins directly to people that yeah. she didn't own. People were selling like I'm selling you ten thousand yeah. one coin. They haven't even been generated yeah. on the blocks yet. But I'll have to put your data, your coins, on yeah. an Excel spreadsheet and hold around and hope maybe it'll catch up. But it didn't catch up. It just grew and grew and grew and grew to the point that she'd sold billions of coins that didn't exist and would have taken a year to to be yeah. created by her blockchain. And I think that's the point at which she could have given up, but she kept going, selling more and more and more and more because she had thousands yeah. of people around the world that were selling this for her every day. She couldn't really control it. It just took off. And as with the hype of crypto, she she was out, she yeah. lost control of her yeah. own company and it turned into a multi-billion dollar scam almost yeah. by accident. Interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that, I mean, it comes across in, in your podcast as well. I'm going to steal a bit of, you know, heads up, close your ears if you don't want to listen, if you want to hear some of the story. But you then go and look and there's a developer that you look to recruit to actually help build the blockchain and take that backlog and then add it to the blockchain who then refuse to actually do it because it's like, oh my God, this has already gone too far down the track. I can't fix that. And the other element is, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and the other element exactly that's a key thing that's a key thing for you for you yeah. guys in the crypto world it it was a bitcoin yeah. guy a bitcoin yeah. fanatic who was kind of the one that really yeah. blew the whistle on this so this is why it's not an anti blockchain anti crypto story because the bitcoin guy looks at her offer she's basically says to him can you build yeah. me a blockchain and he's like you've been you've <laughs> been selling this to people for the last yeah. 2 years how you what you don't have a functioning blockchain i mean what the yeah. hell have you been doing and he's worried i think it's exactly that i think what i think what she wanted him to do was to reconcile the coins she sold that didn't exist on the blockchain with the ones that did exist on a blockchain into one brand new blockchain that was bigger and he basically just said yeah. i'm not doing this and not only that i'm going to tell everyone what you've been doing basically so it was a Bitcoin guy that's kind of the hero of the story in a sense, because he's the one that comes in and sort of really yeah. blows the whistle on it all and says, I love Bitcoin. And I think coins like this are what's going to destroy the community. So I'm going to I'm going to call it out. But like every entrepreneur and startup, right? I mean, you're always going out there evangelizing your platform, your product, you're you're trying to get people to adopt it. And I think the difference really, I mean, I look at Ethereum, for example, they did a masterful job in really just acquiring developers to build on top of the Ethereum platform and use the Solidity framework or developer language to be able to build out smart contracts and open source that to everybody so that they can then go out and build. And in a way, it was just building yeah. a mob and it took it down a direction that made it legitimate because actually people were building on this and building different blockchains that would allow it to scale versus scaling on that spreadsheet by that master salesperson on that MLM tra track or branch, right? Versus the other one. So it was interesting. Yeah, exactly. So why did you let it pass on your desk? Why did you not invest when you saw it? You should have seen this. They're building a framework for other people to build on. And we know from like Facebook and the internet, that's the trick. You build it and you get people to come in and build their own stuff. And that's what's generating the excitement and the interest and the kind of, you know, the exponential growth. So, but she, yeah, she yeah. sort of. No, yeah, we anyway. had that on Bitcoin. Bitcoin had that. We had color coins before. So you could create your own coins on there. So we had a lot of, we had pre-consensus where we could then actually do really fast finality for transactions in the mempool. But we needed to improve the code base, the code for Bitcoin is really bad, right? I mean, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto, for all his skills, he's not a brilliant developer. Um, and I think we, and, and when I was running Bitcoin.com, one of the core investments in the Bitcoin Cash ecosystem was going towards rewriting that code base in a more object-oriented mm. um, framework or design, right? And so, mm. Uh, mm. but the community at yeah. the Bitcoin Maxis did not want that, right? That was not true to mm. the original cause and, and you're forking it and you're creating something different yeah. and the tenacity it's like the constitutionalist yeah, exactly. like in the, in the us you know the constitution it was written this way and that there is sometimes a good argument for saying let's let's, let's stick with that and 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 yeah, yeah i mean i i mean i i passed mainly because i mean i mm. should have known because i was with developers i was building hackathons i was trying to acquire developers to grow and build on Android, mm. build on on iPhone, on BlackBerry, on this API set to build towards this feature, towards your, you know, your, your Apple Watch or whatever it was, or in those days it was the Jabra, uh, you know, sort of all these different devices. And, mm. um, but I just, the unlimited supply is what really sort of, just, you know, there was <laughs> right. something that wasn't quite yeah. right. But yeah. But I mean, yeah, either way, back yeah, yeah. to back to Ruja and, and the OneCoin, right? You've done a lot of research. You you spent a lot of time in that, and it was a fascinating story. And how do you sort of coming out of that and and your experience in that? I mean, you're still involved in it. It's still a, a big. You've just come out with the book. Um, you know, sort of 
how do you sort of find the next thing after something so invigorating? You've spent so much of your time and life associated and dedicated to trying to unmask that. Yeah. I think that for a while, you just got to accept, I've got to accept that I was very lucky to yeah. have this story. And it's like, it becomes a bit of a duty to do everything, do everything to, to get it out there, to get it read, to get it seen. There's no point writing a book or doing a podcast yeah. if people don't listen to it. And in your little world, you think everyone is, but there's so many people obviously never heard of it, never know anything about it. And I feel like your job as a writer, you, you stop being a writer when you put that pen down and you turn yeah. into a salesperson and you've got to put yeah. as much time and effort yeah. in selling it as you have got yeah. in writing it or making it. And even if I ever get bored talking about it, because it's been yeah. my life for four years, it's like the Rolling Stones. They You want them to yeah. play Start Me Up. You don't want to hear <laughs> their new stuff. And they are just, they are lucky to be in a position where thousands of people want yeah. to hear start me up. So they yeah. keep playing start me up. And um, I feel like that with this, I, I'm going to be privileged to be able to keep talking about this. Now, this is the story yeah. I'm most associated with. I'm lucky for that. I'll, I'll go out there and evangelize. I'll talk about it to anyone and I'll stick with the story until it's really fully, until I'm standing in the, in the, in the audience in, in Southern district of New yeah. York courtroom, watching yeah. her on the stand being charged, you know, with money laundering and, and, and securities fraud and wire fraud. And, and I probably just won't do anything else until that moment. I'll so you think this. she's still alive? I do think she's still alive. I've had far too many extremely credible yeah. tip-offs and leads to make me think she's dead. Uh, yeah. It's a possibility. It's possible. It's definitely possible. And I always put that number at about twenty okay. to twenty-five percent. But 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 I personally think she is alive. Um, for example, just just extremely credible people who've looked me in the eye and said, "Yeah, I saw her. That was her. And I saw her at this point in this place." And a lot of those sightings do tally up in terms of her movement. So uh, I don't want to give away everything because obviously the book does talk about all of this yep. stuff as well. But uh, no, I think she's alive and I think she's moving around. And I think that's why the FBI put her on the list. Because wow. I think the FBI knows that she's, she's moving. moving, which is why the public why the public can help. Public can't help with a most wanted list if she's holed up in a compound yep. in Dubai. But they can help if she's moving, if she's being forced to move around. So that's why, and, and the reward they've offered is $100,000, the information. And, and I think it's not much for, if she's being protected yeah. by corrupt governments, what's yeah, 100000 But if she's moving, if she's moving, what about her chef? What about her driver? What about her bodyguard? People for whom a hundred grand, that might be enough. That yeah. might make a difference. So that's why I think that it, it matters. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's like... Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I feel that, that that's an, a minuscule amount for the vast volumes. And I think you said it was 4 billion, right? I've heard new numbers go up to 14 billion, right? And and if yeah. I look at some, some of yeah. the investments yeah. in, out of China, out of Africa, right? And I think you go into the deep, darkest Africa yeah. to a farmer who actually bought one coin, still believes in the one coin, right? So it's like, yeah. Still believes. Yeah. Still believes and people still believe today. Oh, wow. Yeah. Today. And they're, and they're still promoting, it's still being promoted around wow. the world. So it's still, it's still out there. And in every corner of the world, you'll find someone that thinks one coin any day now, they'll turn their thousands of one coin at a current price of like yeah. 45 euros, totally made up. They'll be able to sell them for 45 euros each. And they've got thousands and thousands and thousands of them. And they're expecting any day to get rich, even today, after everything. So it's a, it's a quite a tragic yeah, story as sure. well, you know, of, of, of what's happened to these people. Um, but she, it, it, it's, uh, I suppose it's not really going to be finished until she's captured just because there are those people that still believe. And given what I've seen, you know, I reckon even once she's captured and convicted, they'll still believe it. They'll still think one coin is, is going to one day become, you know, fulfill all their dreams yeah. it's like a religion to them now that you know there's no there's no arguing with those people sadly but i was once asked just in the pursuit of dr ruja i was once asked would you do a podcast trying to find satoshi nakamoto as well and i was like i don't know yeah. no no because he yeah. hasn't done anything wrong 
and he doesn't he clearly yeah. doesn't want to be found uh forget about the Craig White <laughs> thing for a minute so I don't know what <laughs> but let's just uh, yeah. forget that doesn't exist um I don't want to this person decided made choices didn't break any rules doesn't want to be found she's different so I feel obliged to carry on until I find and, her. And- yeah. So, so there's one hand you're, you're still on the pursuit to discovery, right? You're still looking to find yeah. her. But then on the other hand, you've created this phenomenal story, done lots of different research. I mean, is there a desire after you've done the podcast, you've done the book, you, you, you're, you're speaking a lot around on this topic to do a movie and, you know, really hit mainstream and try to get a movie for this? Is that sort of, hmm. yeah. Do you yeah, think that that yeah. will really open the eyes of when... people and get much more adoption? You, it's, you, yeah. it's amazing. Like, you can have a big podcast hit and a book, but it reaches nothing yeah. like a Netflix yeah. series or a movie. The, the peop- and the people it reaches are different. There are The funny thing is something strange is going on with journalism at the moment. We're all obsessed with yeah. true crime stories and the big platforms are looking for those stories and they want to buy them and they yeah. want to turn them into yeah. movies and dramas and documentary series. And there's, there's a lot of activity yeah. around this one coin story. Now uh, there's a lot of like, there's documentaries being made. There's drama series. There's, I think there oh, is yeah. a movie in the works uh, already. Yeah. But it's actually, it's um, that is going to take yeah. it to a whole new level and a whole yeah. new audience, which I think is important as long as, they sort of stay yeah. true to the story because this could be the one time that millions of people would read or hear or watch about this. And we tried with the podcast to be yeah. really honest with the truth and accurate and like understand what blockchains were and the subtle difference between them and why it's not the same as Bitcoin, but this is why, and this is how it works. We hopefully the big platforms We'll do that too because they have a chance to educate a lot of people. But is it going to be exciting enough for them? I don't know. Yeah, no, just to your point, right? I really think that the movie has to be accurate and good quality productions make a big difference, right? And if you look at the Netflix series on Escobar and how they did that, I mean, that went really well. It was really quality. It was a good investment in the right product. And so I'd love to see, you know, the work that you've put into a lot of this be reflected and, and have that same sort of um, quality, get, you know, paid attention to the a movie if it's done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I no, it's like super fascinating. We've gone on for hours already and, and, and I feel <laughs> we could do another hour easily. Yeah, um, but yeah. I, I am conscious that we wanted to keep this to about an hour um, and I really thank you for your time and, and, and your inputs and insights. And we were covering lots of different uh, perspectives, not just crypto. So no, yeah. the audience you, took me, you were taking me a bit out of my comfort zone with some of the technical stuff. But it's really good. For, it's, I really like speaking to actual crypto people about this because it's a very different conversation to when I would speak to, you know, if you like an ordinary audience, like a book reading audience, yeah. they have a very different take on what's going on here. So it's great yeah. to get the crypto people, you know, their perspective on this and why it matters. And so thanks very much for having me. Yeah, no, and what, really what I liked is the fact that you're bringing again a different perspective. How do we protect users? How do I, you know, let's not, you know, we need to do much more in education. We need more people like yourselves going into the insights and, and actually maybe waking up us as an industry, you know, it doesn't take two years to understand it. Maybe certain people that have gone full crypto get it, but otherwise it just takes a bit mm. longer. Um, mm. And the tools today, though, I would argue are way better than when I first got my Bitcoin J wallet. Today, mm. it's much easier to use. And the services have just grown in terms of what I can do. Um, but but we right. need to That's make right. sure that those tools are akin to what we're experiencing in a fintech world on a Web3 infrastructure. And that's my mm. whole thing. Mm. Anyways, that's going to be good. Super. How can people, do you have a Twitter account where people can follow you? Do you do? I do. I yeah. do. At, um, at Jamie J. Bartlett. Um, I often post any, any new developments on this story. They're usually there first. So that's a good place okay. to start. Yeah. So follow, follow Jamie J. Bartlett on Twitter, guys. Get the latest news. Um, you'll hear it there first. 
Um, and then if you haven't already, check out his podcast. We'll provide a link below as well. Uh, it's an amazing podcast. It's multi-series. You can binge listen. Um, and then the book's coming out. And hopefully, maybe sometime soon, a movie that you can be involved in to choose a director <laughs> to do that. <laughs> yeah, let's see about that. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, thank you, Jamie. Awesome. Thanks again. Awesome thank you, you again for having me, mate. Thank you, yeah. Stefan. This was Stefan Roost and Jamie Bartlett. You can follow Jamie on Twitter at Jamie J Bartlett. That's J-A-M-I-E-L-J-B-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. You can also follow Stefan on Twitter at sroost99. That's S-R-U-S-T-9-9. And you can find the Super Excited with Stefan Roost podcast on all major podcast platforms and on YouTube on the Stefan Roost channel. Thank you for listening.